0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In just four verses, the words a little while are found in the Scriptures seven times. The setting is Monday, Thursday. Jesus had already instituted the Lord's Supper. He washed the disciples' feet, and he had even said, Arise, let us go from here, because they must go out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will be betrayed by Judas. But even after Jesus says, Arise, let us go from here, Jesus continues with his speech with his disciples for two more chapters, drawing close to the conclusion the words that we heard in today's gospel from John chapter 16. It's no surprise that Jesus had much to say before he is crucified. Yet a few verses before our gospel begins, Jesus had said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Despite having spoken to them, as recorded in John thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, 15, and 16, Jesus says he has much more to say, and so he was leaving it, to God, the Holy Spirit, to guide them into those truths. You'll hear of Jesus prophesying the Holy Spirit in our gospel next Sunday. When Jesus says, a little while, in English, we, are, we have that in, in two to three words, but one Greek word is used and I'll give it to you. I don't do this often, but the Greek word is pretty simple. It's micron. It is a word that means the smallest. The word of course has made its way into English as micro. Earlier, Jesus had said of babies that they are micron, plural for micron, micro little ones. What does he say about these little ones? He says, these little ones who believe in me. Jesus acknowledges that even the littlest, the smallest of children, that is infants, can believe in Jesus. Why? Because faith comes by hearing, and faith is not an act of our own will, But faith is worked by God the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus said a little while, he really meant a little while, a microscopic amount of time in the grand scheme of things. Jesus says these things to prepare his disciples for the very bitter things that they are soon to experience and also the great joys that are about to come. He had just said that they are not ready to hear more, even though he had more to say. And so he draws his speech to a close, saying that they will not see him in a little while, but then in a little while, they will see him again. Remember, Jesus says these things to his disciples on The evening of Maundy Thursday, his crucifixion is going to be the very following day. He will die and his body will be placed in the grave. The disciples had been with him throughout his three-year public ministry. They enjoyed much time with our Lord Jesus. And now they are down to just hours before he will die. He will go to the Father as he alluded to and as he said earlier in John 16, for he will obtain the victory over sin, death, and the devil. Jesus will cancel out sin through the shedding of his blood. He will prove that death has no power over him through his resurrection. And he will defeat the devil who lies and destroys. So Jesus is announcing in today's gospel to his disciples that his crucifixion is at hand, his time has come, and he is about to fulfill the very purpose for which the Father had sent him to do. This, of course, would not be easy for the disciples to witness. Even though it was necessary and even though Jesus would be obtaining the victory over sin, death, and the devil— Sorrow will certainly fill the hearts of the disciples. They will watch the sinless Lamb of God be slaughtered. They will watch his trial and his beatings, his passion and his crucifixion. All the while, they will know his innocence. And so, deep and painful sorrow will fill their hearts. The pain Mankind experiences as they are separated by their loved ones through death is excruciating. Nothing quite compares. Jesus points out the great pain that mothers experience when they go through labor. Yet Jesus then points out that their sorrow is turned to joy for a human being is brought into the world. And we can say there's nothing quite like that kind of joy as well. This should not surprise us. Great joy when life comes into the world and great pain when lives are ended and souls leave this world. God is, after all, not the author of death, but the author of life. Death itself is transitory, but it doesn't seem that way. When we go to the cemetery to put our loved one in the grave, it seems permanent and final. Death itself is not part of God's original plan. Death is, in fact, Not natural. Now, of course, people may see death as a part of a natural process, and we're all used to hearing that phrase, that this is but the cycle of life. But remember what God originally created in the garden? He created a perfect place, a perfect world, a perfect people, Adam and Eve. A world without sin. And because there was no sin, there would be no wages of sin, which, would, which is death. And so before the fall of man into sin, no humans could have died. A mother's pain when delivering a child is replaced with joy When the baby is born. But the pain endured by those who bury their loved ones does not get replaced immediately with that same type of joy that a mother has. Some may feel relieved that their loved ones are no longer suffering and have gone to be with the Lord, but this relief, or even happiness and joy that they are with the Lord, does not match that kind of joy that a mother experiences by the birth of her child. Jesus does not sugarcoat the pain the disciples will soon experience through his own death. However, Jesus also teaches them his death will be temporary In his discourse, he doesn't outright declare that he will die and rise the third day. But his words are certainly clear that he is going to go away and that he's going to come back. It's going to be a painful thing and then a very joyful thing. And we have to recall that on at least three occasions before they arrived in Jerusalem for Holy Week, that Jesus had prophesied to his disciples that he is going to be handed over to evil men in Jerusalem who will scourge him and kill him. He will die, and then he will rise from the grave on the third day. What this means, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is that our Lord's time in the grave will be temporary after all, Jesus said, and again a little while, Micron, and you will see me. The time that our Lord's body will rest in his grave will be but short. They will, of course, weep and lament. The world will be rejoicing that they have gotten rid of this holy menace. For they feel that he was simply trying to upend their way of life, change everything that they thought was true. Such joy they figured they would have when they will be freed from a true authority in their lives. But such is the way of corruption and false belief. Many who have walked away from Christ and the Christian faith feel that they have become free. You may know some people who figure that. You may, you may be related to some. Some may be your neighbors if you talk to them. If you haven't seen them in church, you might get explanations that they felt that they were enchained when they were in the church. But now they are free. They think that the Christian faith is putting on religious shackles, keeping them down and repressed. And now that they have gotten rid of those shackles, now that they have separated themselves from the church, they think that they are now free, free to do what they want, free to make the decisions that they think are best for them, free to follow whatever they feel is right, free of any guilt over their life choices. They feel that they are not being judged anymore. But they do not realize when they depart from Christ that they are no longer at peace with him and they are not free at all because thinking that they are free they walk blindly into Satan's domain and put on his handcuffs, thinking they are now free. They are now enslaved. They are in bondage to the devil, thinking they are not being judged by Christians. They have gone from being acquitted by Christ through the forgiveness of sins and the gospel to now being judged guilty by God for they remain Filthy in their sin. Satan leads people astray with enticing lies, fooling people to think that they are somehow free when they are separated from Christ's church. To remain in Christ's fold, however, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is true freedom. As our epistle declares, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. We are God's children now, and when Jesus appears, we shall be like him. He rose from the dead. We too shall live because the gospel has been given to us. That, my friends, is true freedom. Therefore, do not be enticed by the ways of the world, Do not think that you are somehow liberated when you are not in God's house or when you are avoiding Christ and his word. Do not think that you are gaining something as you make yourself busy this hour in which the divine service is being held. Whatever you are doing that keeps you away from the absolution, that is the declaration, of the forgiveness of sins, as we heard at the beginning of the service whatever it is that keeps you away from the Word of God, those ever-so-important prayers of the church, the Lord's Supper, and the gathering of believers, whatever it is that may keep you away, they are not granting you freedom. They are false hopes. They are shackles to the world. And there are things to keep you so busy that you may, according to Satan's hopes and desires, you may lose or forfeit the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Instead of telling God that you don't need him and that you don't need this hour so that you can get other things done, so you can sleep in, Tell your employer that you need a couple of hours instead on Monday morning to get things done or to sleep in. And if that doesn't sit well with your employer, why do you think it would work ever so well with the very one who can read the hearts of all men? Jesus said, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. As we've learned, Jesus describes the great sorrow that the disciples will soon face when they are not in the presence of Christ, when they witness his gruesome crucifixion. But in contrast, consider the great joy they will have when Jesus rises from the grave and they will be in his presence again. No one can take that joy away from them, for it is a joy and peace that we have in believing that Christ is our Savior. Ten years ago, I was serving a vacant congregation. I had been serving them in their vacancy for four years. When that vacancy began, they said that they would be out of funds in about a year, and That they would close, but God graciously allowed them to continue for three additional years longer than they expected. But then came what seemed to be the inevitable time of their closing ceremony. The church was packed, unlike the 10 to 12 that were there on a typical weekend. Tears filled the eyes of everyone present. The district president, who had to officially and formally state as part of the closing ceremony that this congregation is now closed, was struggling to get the words out, even though he had really no connection to the congregation. Looking for some strength to get those words out, he saw his wife, looked at her in the eye, saw the tears coming down her eye, and, of course, that just made it all the harder for him to get those words out that this church is now closed. A congregation with so many memories was closing. Much sorrow was in their hearts. I Imagine that, having experienced that great pain, those saints who have moved on to other nearby congregations will work all the harder, fight all the more, be even more generous, so that they can ensure that the church to which they have joined will not experience the same thing that they had just gone through. I would submit that that could have been prevented, that closing, but only if God's people would be willing to see the great joy that takes place when Christians gather together in unity and not take the church and the gospel for granted. The joy that could not be taken away from the disciples came to them first by way of sorrow and cross. Hardship, tribulation, crosses, and suffering all force us to draw near to Christ, to cling to him and trust in him. When things are easy, our prayers are weak, or maybe we even forget to pray. Then we also figure we don't need to be shepherded. We'll keep God in our back pocket to pull out when we only need Need him. But when trials force us, or when trials cause us to be shaken to our very core, we are then forced to turn to Christ with prayer and trust and confidence that he will shepherd us. And then we also will recognize that God uses affliction for our good. And we aren't heartened by that promise that God uses all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. On Monday, Thursday, Jesus was preparing His disciples for things that they could not even begin to imagine. In a little while, they will weep and lament, but in a little while, they will see Him again and they will be filled with joy. Christ will die and rise, death will be swallowed up in victory. The victory over death and the grave obtained by our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ means that your times of sorrow will also be a little while. But your time of joy, when Christ receives you into his eternal kingdom, will be just that. It'll be, your time of joy will be eternal. It is true. Your life here is but temporary It is but a little while. So cling to Christ, your good shepherd. Let him lead you and shepherd you through his word and through his sacrament. Know that he always tells the truth and his word is sure and certain. And he is your solid rock. Receive the victory won by Christ and granted to all who call upon him by communing with Christ frequently. You are sheep of his fold, baptized into Christ. And in accordance with his timing, you will join our Lord in the gates of paradise. And in a little while, according to his timing, Jesus will return and raise all the dead and give to all who believed in Christ incorruptible, immortal, glorious, risen bodies. And truly then, our joys will have no end, and no one will ever take them away. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.